Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you here. Welcome to Parkview. I'm wearing my one-day shirt because I want to make sure that all of you know if you had a junior or senior hire, next Saturday they're doing a huge uh, service project in our area. The junior high is going one way and the senior high is going another another way, and I want to advertise that. So I'm wearing this shirt today because I want to encourage you, if you know any junior senior hires, get them here next Saturday, and we're going to go out and change the world. We all need to get a little help to get through life, maybe a sidekick. Uh, Lone Ranger had Tonto. Batman had Robin, Michael had Scotty, Hillary had Bill, (laughs) Andy Griffin had Barney, old people, right? And actually, that's kind of funny because we're going to talk about Barney. The name Barnabas means encourager, and I'm going to talk about Barney today. It was his, it was his nickname, okay? He was a sidekick with a nickname Barnabas, which meant encourager. I've only had one nickname in my entire life, um... And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna come clean. I've never probably said this publicly, but it was hairball. Um, it's play off my name, Harlow. Hairball's kind of you know whatever. That's what people started calling me. And back in the '70s, there was the number one drama on television when I was in college was Hill Street Blues. And those of you that are old enough to remember that, there was a character named Belker that used to call everybody Hairball all the time. So I just adopted it and I became Hairball. I had an intramural basketball team my senior year of Bible college called the Hairball. So if uh, you refer to me as Doctor Hairball or Pastor Hairball or whatever, I'm going to be good with that. Uh, one thing that I know in my life is that I need to be more of an encourager, more of a Barney and less of a hairball. Would you all agree with that? Everybody needs somebody who's there to help you out and help you to figure out what's going on in your life. We hear about this guy named Barnabas in the Bible in Acts chapter 4. That's when we're introduced to him. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to skip around a lot in the book of Acts, but you can open up to Acts chapter 4. Joseph was his real name, Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means, you may not have known this, son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Has anybody ever called you encouragement? Son of encouragement. The son of part I've been called before, but never encouragement. You? Feeling me? Luke calls Barnabas in chapter 11 a good... Listen to this. I I blogged about this this week. This verse is just wrecking me. A good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a number of people were brought to the Lord. There's a whole sermon right there, isn't there? Barnabas, Barney, he's the encouragement. That's his name. He's a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a number of people were brought to the Lord. Just hit me so hard this week that that's exactly what I want on my tombstone. If for some reason, by the time I die, you can say he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord because of him, then just put Acts 11.24 on my tombstone. That should be my goal. That should be your goal. And by the way, Johnny Bretzlev, um, I also want Freebird, okay? I'm just telling you, right now, I want Freebird, okay? At my funeral, I want Freebird, and I don't want the cut-down guitar solo. I want the whole guitar solo. I just wanted this on public record. I know you think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I want Freebird. I'm going to be flying free as a bird at my funeral. Am I right? Or am I right? Is that appropriate? Oh. One, one of my, okay, you can leave, John. Uh, one of my all-time favorite scenes, I'm sorry, I'm just digressing, but I was thinking about it this week, I'm planning my funeral. Acts 11:24 and Freebird. It's perfect. One of my all-time favorite movies is Elizabethtown. 
You know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's, you know, I shouldn't be recommending it. It's not perfect. It's PG-13. But Elizabethtown has this funeral at the end of it. And at the end of this funeral, there's this cover band playing Freebird. And these guys have got this whole funeral plan. And they've got a bird that they've literally got on a wire that they're going to send across the auditorium while they're playing Freebird at this guy's funeral. Except the bird catches on fire. And as the bird catches on fire, the whole place starts to catch on fire. And the Sprinklers are going off and people are screaming and yelling and running and dancing and jamming and they just keep playing it. It's so fun. That's a perfect funeral, okay? If Lonnie starts to play, I could only imagine somebody punch him. I want free bird, okay? There isn't a lot of information. I'm sorry, I don't know why I got into that, but I just wanted to publicly go on record just in case it happens. The only thing we know about Barney, uh, there's really four occasions we meet Barney in the Scripture. We first see his encouraging ways with the Apostle Paul. Okay, If you don't know the background on the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was Saul, who was a Christian killer. He was zealous against Christians. And he was, he was literally at the stoning of Stephen, holding people's coats while the very first martyr after Jesus was killed for Jesus Christ. That's who he was. He was Christian's public enemy, number one. And so Jesus picks him to be the Apostle Paul. He blinds him and knocks him off his horse and says, I want you to come to me. And we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 26, and this is where we pick back up with Barnabas. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, now you got to understand, Paul was a a, a very well-trained Pharisee, so he'd gone to grad school in Jerusalem. This should be the biggest news of the year. This very important Jewish guy who used to hate Christianity is now a Christian, and he comes back home to Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he, Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not really believing he was a disciple. And you can't really blame him. One week he's killing their family, and the next week he shows up and says, oh, I'm a Christian now, I'm on your team, right? It would be like if Jesus appeared to Bill Maher or Howard Stern or Larry Flint or something, you know, and all of a sudden they come walking in here and we're like, okay, really? You know, we'd all be a little bit skeptical, but it was true. Paul had been called by Jesus personally and he's literally switching sides, but the disciples don't want to have anything to do with him. And you got to, if you don't understand, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. One of the most important people to Christianity in the history of Christianity. And who knows what would have happened had it not been for Acts 9, 27. But Barnabas, the encourager, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and said, hey, you guys, come on. He's for real. This is really him. This is what he's doing. And good stuff started happening because Barnabas stuck up for the apostle Paul. And because the church respected Barney so much, they respected Paul, and the rest is history. So then, uh, all this stuff is starting to happen. We get into Acts chapter 10, and God starts telling Peter and the apostles, hey, you need to spread this thing out past Judaism and let the non-Jews, like most of us in this room, into the kingdom of heaven. And that was really hard for them to swallow because of their Jewish heritage and because of this whole idea that God had given them back in the day that they were the chosen people. But again... Barnabas, encouraging man, comes to the rescue. News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God among the non-Jewish people, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord and to their hearts. 
As Barney was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So then, now that they realize that God wants Gentiles in this kingdom as well, Paul and Barnabas become a team. They become Michael and Scotty. They become this unbelievable duo that goes off in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and starts planting churches all around Asia Minor, which are mostly Gentile churches because now they've been licensed to go into all the world and make disciples. I mean, Jesus said that, but they didn't really believe it when he said it because they thought it was just to go to the Jews. But now they know they're supposed to go to all of the world. And so Paul and Barnabas started on this missionary journey. And when they went on this missionary journey, they would take young followers with them. They would do mentorship for these people. They figured, you know, we might as well take people with us while we're going so that we can train them while we're going at the same time, two birds with one stone. One of those people they traveled with was John Mark, or just mostly as he's referred to in scripture as Mark. What do we know of John Mark? Not a whole lot. We don't know anything about his father. We know that his mother was evidently wealthy because she owned a house where the disciples gathered in Jerusalem regularly. She may have been the person that actually owned the upper room where they did the Last Supper, you know, when everybody got on one side of the table and took a picture for Leonardo, where they got together and and they had the very Last Supper, that whole thing, you know what I'm saying? That was probably owned by Mark's mom. Okay, which is just cool for me because every once in a while, you know, I got to come back and remind those of you who have means, those of us who have means, that we're responsible with the things that we have. There are people in the Bible that were rich. We talk about how Jesus didn't have anything and we're supposed to be taking care of the poor all the time. But there were people who had means and used those means for the gospel. Okay, just another cool testimony. I hope you're doing that. So Mark, as he's usually called, travels with Paul and Barnabas. But we're told in Acts chapter 13, for some reason, John Mark bails on them and goes back home to Jerusalem. Acts 13, 13 tells us that. He deserts them. Now, we don't know why. We don't know if he got homesick. Well, some have speculated that he wasn't real comfortable with the whole Gentile thing and, and he was wanting everything to stay in the Jews. It might have been that they were going to go to some of these places where there, there was persecution, there was fear that he was going to be killed. Maybe he just missed the pizza. We don't know what it was, but John Mark bailed on him. He was young, he messed up, he was a quitter. Maybe you've been there. So then we get back over to Acts chapter 15. And sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go back to these churches that we planted. And Barnabas said, great idea. Let's take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers for the grace of the Lord. We don't know what happened. That word desirous there that Barnabas you that was used for Barnabas uh, is something that meant would will forcefully. So evidently Barnabas, even though he was this encouraging guy, says, listen, we're taking John Mark with us. Yes, he deserted us, but we still got the mission done and everybody deserves a second chance. And where would we be? Where would you be, Paul? Where would any of us be if we didn't take up the side of the weak and encourage them and give them a second chance? This series that we've been doing, Graceonomics is about being people of the second chance. And up to this point, what we've talked about uh, with Peter and Cleopas and Mary Magdalene last week is about accepting the second chance from Jesus. 
What I want you to grab a hold of this weekend is how to be people who give a second chance. Now, there's a little bit more to the story you need to know here. Um, John, Mark, and Barnabas are cousins, okay? So, you know, blood is thicker than water, and Barnabas sticks up for John Mark. Paul's reaction was not too unlike what Barnabas's reaction was. It was, in, it was kept on insisting that we're not taking him. He proved to be a quitter. How could we take him with us? It appears here that Barnabas was, a, was worried about the man and Paul was worried about the mission. For Paul, it boiled down to dependability and strength and to stability. And we need people who can go all the way. And he knew how hard the first journey was the first time around. And we can't have quitters here with us. And what I, what I want to point out from this at this point is that we tend to romanticize, I think, the Bible and the things that happen in the Bible. We tend to romanticize the New Testament and think, wow, it would have been so cool to be a part of the, all the missionary journeys and all the miracles and all the amazing things that happen in the New Testament church. But listen, do you realize that most of the New Testament was written because the church was already messed up? You realize that? Have you read some of the, have you read the letters to the Corinthian church? They were really, really messed up. Have you read the letters to the Roman church or the Galatian church or the church of Colossae? These letters were written because the churches were already messed up because people are messed up. And sometimes, I just need to say this, sometimes people are going to disagree. And that's okay. Two pillars of the faith here, Paul and Barnabas, Michael and Scotty, had such a sharp disagreement that they broke up. Now, here's what I know. I know that some of you came from churches where there was strife in your church. And I'm sorry for that. A lot of you haven't been in church in a long time, but some of you came from churches and situations where there was strife in your church and somebody didn't like somebody, and all of a sudden you ended up with this church split and it wasn't very healthy and it wasn't very good. Personally, I think it's dumb that there are 33,000 denominations of Christianity in the world today. That's the latest list from the World Encyclopedia of Christian Churches. 33,000. That's just stupid, okay? I'm just going to say it. You may have heard about the guy who was rescued from a desert island. He'd been, he'd been, he'd been marooned on this desert island for like years and uh, had taken care of himself, lived off the land. And when they rescued him, they noticed there were three huts. And, and, and they asked him about it. They said, well, why did you have three huts? And he said, well, one hut is where I slept. That was my home. And then I'm a believer. I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and, and the other hut is where I worshiped. And they said, well, what's the third hut? And he said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> there are a lot of egos involved in, uh, in, in split-ups of churches and in strife that goes on in churches. The worst story I've ever heard, this is true, and, and, and they were Baptists. I'm not picking on you if you, can, if you grew up Baptist. I'm just saying, in, in Kentucky, um, they had this church where there were these two deacons that were button heads all the time. And, you know, they both wanted control over this church, and they were always button heads. And one day, the, the other deacon showed up and found out that the other deacon had put up a pegboard with some pegs on it so that people could hang their hats. And it had been done without his permission, without a congregational approval. And so he got so mad, he literally left and went and started, took half the people, split the church, and went and started, I'm not making this up, look it up in history, the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Okay? That's ridiculous. And I'm sorry if you came from those kinds of situations back in your past. 
I do believe there's room for disagreement, okay? I do believe that. I mean, Paul and Barnabas show us this. It's okay for some people to believe one way, some people to believe a different way. That, that's absolutely fine. If you want a more charismatic experience than Parkview, and just go down the street or just don't even bother getting all the way here and go down to Stone Church and see my friend George and worship at Stone. They're a great church down there. Or, or a lot of others I could give you. If you want a more traditional church than Parkview, which some of you would prefer, that's okay. I could give you a bunch of names of some good traditional churches you can go to. If you want a smaller church than this crazy thing we got going on here, some people really, really need that. I've got a lot of great smaller churches that are doing great work that I would refer you to or go out there and find them. That's okay. You want a Cub fan church? I can't help you. I mean, that's like an oxymoron, you know, so it's just not going to work. It's okay for Paul and Barnabas to disagree. I think it's okay. I I don't know who is right or who is wrong in this situation. Here's what I want you to understand. Two people can both be right about a situation and agree to disagree. Okay. What is important to me here about this text is that you've got to love the rawness of Scripture. Okay. If you are making up the New Testament, you don't put this in there, right? I say this all the time. You don't put, there's no attempt to cover up the pimples of the, of the people in the Bible, is there? I mean, you would not have your like two big leaders disagree and split up and go separate ways if you were making this story up. You would not tell people that Peter denied Christ. You would not tell people that David murdered Uriah. You would not tell people that Thomas doubted, that Abraham lied. You wouldn't tell those things if you were making it up. It's rawness because that's the truth of who people are. Chuck Swindoll said, I am greatly comforted whenever I read this. I'm thankful for the revelation of the humanity of these men. If I had never read that Paul and Barnabas had contention, I would have been afraid. These men were not angels, they were men. This was a a sharp disagreement. Michael and Scotty split up. Michael goes and plays baseball. Okay? This is nothing short of a heated, all-out clash of viewpoints. Sharp disagreement. All right? As a matter of fact, and I've been processing this this week because I, I did this whole, I had this whole idea to do this sermon based on Barnabas being the encouraging one. And obviously that's where I want to go. We need to be people of the second chance. But as I was processing the sermon this week, I'm at a church planting conference where we're thinking about how can we go out and eradicate poverty? How can we go out and win the world? How can we go out and plant more churches? How can we win more people to Jesus? How can we be more effective? And obviously we need to be people of the second chance. But Paul was right too, okay? Barnabas was worried about the man, but Paul was worried about the mission. I've been reading a book by, the newest book by Patrick Lencioni called The Advantage, and it's all about how your organization, like all the other books on leadership, how your organization needs to be focusing on the right things and not doing the wrong things, basically, okay? And, and I'm reading this book, and I'm at this church planting conference, and I'm like, hey, I don't disagree with Paul. And I, I want to tell you something, okay? I've got a mission. I'm on a mission from God, okay? God, God gave me uh, gifts and abilities, and he called me to be an evangelist. And I believe that Jesus' mission statement was to seek and save the lost. So when it comes to the mission, I'm going to be pretty serious about it, like Paul. And, and if you want me to do this or that, or think this or that, or hire this and that, or, or not fire this and that, or whatever, I can appreciate what you're doing, okay? But you're going to have to be pretty convincing to pull me away from my cause of helping people get to heaven, find their way back to God. That's what God's called me to do. There are a lot of great causes out there. I appreciate them all. But my, my goal and Parkview's mission is to help people find Jesus. That's all there is to it. So I'm probably going to make some mistakes along the way, like I think Paul did here. 
Because John Mark, and I'll, tell you, I'll finish the story, but John Mark becomes a very important part of the church because Barnabas comes along and encourages him. So I, I would have to say, looking back in history, Paul would probably even say he made a mistake here, but it was for good reason. I don't blame Paul. Fool me once, shame on you, right? Fool me twice, shame on... Well, you guys don't know pithy Chinese proverbs very well, do you? Shame on me, Okay. Because it's hard for us with our human nature to believe that somebody has really changed until we see it. You can rename yourself Meta World Peace if you want to. Hello, shout out for me, huh? But until you stop throwing elbows, nobody's really going to believe you. Okay, Ron, you know what I'm saying? Paul could have quoted... Proverbs 25, 19, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in a time of trial. Uh, and that's a proverb. Have you ever tried to eat with a bad tooth? You try to run, go running with a sprained ankle? That's not a good way to go. And Paul, was, Paul had a mission. He was very, very serious. And, and here's the problem with human nature. Let's just talk about this, okay? The problem with human nature is that I can always understand somebody who has my problem, but I can never understand anybody who has a different problem. Isn't that true? You know, if, I, if I'm a recovering alcoholic, I can understand your addiction problems. But, you know, somebody had an affair or stole from someone, I just can't, I just can't get that. And somehow Paul couldn't see this. In the grander scheme of things, here's the irony, all right? In the grander scheme of things, Paul was given a greater slice of grace pie than Barnabas would ever need to give to John Mark. But he couldn't see that. Even though he was the preacher of grace, even though he was... You know, the guy who was given the second chance. So Barnabas comes along. What would Barnabas have quoted? Maybe Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, who pardons your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That's what Barnabas would have said. And the interesting thing about Barnabas is he's not the kind of guy to argue. So they split up. Now, here's what's fascinating about this. Turns out great for the kingdom of heaven. Because they both went out, Barnabas and John Mark, Paul takes Silas, and they go on separate missionary journeys. Just like we plant churches, just like we send people to go do things in other places. We'll add campuses. We do those things because God's going to make the kingdom multiply. It's all good. Now, here's what's good, okay? What happens when Barnabas gives John Mark a second chance? Next time we hear about John Mark is in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, he says this, My fellow prisoner, this is Paul. Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He's with Paul now. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul, Paul's saying, take care of John Mark. These, including John Mark, are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Okay, you see the label is starting to change here just a little bit. And now John Mark goes from being a deserter to a fellow worker at a person of comfort. And the best passage that would display the change of heart then is found in 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, Only now Luke is with me, and I'm lonely and I need some help, so get Mark and bring him with you, for he is helpful to me in my ministry. John Mark goes from being deserter to being fellow worker to being meta-helpful. Isn't that great? 
Paul goes from thinking, I don't think it's wise for us to take him because he deserted us last time, to please bring him with you. I need him. Why? Why? Because Barnabas, old Barnabas, the encouraging one, saw something in John Mark. He believed in John Mark and he gave him a second chance. Now, I know you don't probably know enough about church history to be processing all this at this point, and you might be wondering to yourself, Mark, is that the guy? Yes. Mark is the guy who later on writes one of the Gospels. He's one of the final four Gospel writers. And most people, most scholars, believe that Mark wrote the first version of the Gospels and that Matthew and Luke both kind of used Mark as a cheat sheet on remembering some of the things that went on during Jesus' day when they wrote their Gospels. And almost everybody would unanimously say that the reason that Mark had such a great understanding of everything that happened in Jesus' life was because he was constantly at Peter's feet. And basically what the Gospel of Mark is, is Peter's version of the story of the good news of Jesus Christ given through Mark. You see how that goes? So here's the question. What if Barnabas would have given up on Mark. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. Fast forward to Barnabas' funeral. Freebird hasn't been written yet. I thought about Barnabas' funeral this week. It's really kind of interesting what Swindoll says. He says, a man gets up to speak and it's the Apostle Paul. And everybody says, ooh, that's the Apostle Paul. He's famous. And Paul says, you know, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death or in prison. And then Jesus called me. But nobody trusted me. No one would touch me. Until Barnabas, but Barnabas came along. And he put his arm around me and he said, I'll vouch for him and I stand before you today because of this man, Barnabas. Then John Mark gets up. People nudge each other. He wrote a gospel. He's famous. And Mark says, the truth about me is I was a quitter. I had run away from Jesus. I'd run away from ministry. But Barnabas, but Barnabas wouldn't give up on me. He saw something in me. I don't know why or what. And he took me under his wing and he said, I'll vouch for him. I'm here today because of a man named Barnabas. Swindoll writes, I imagine the line of people with the same story was pretty long. This was not a half hour funeral. That slideshow that I could only imagine was just full of people who had been given a second chance by a man named Barnabas. And that's the story of Graysonomics. Don't you see? Those of us who have been given grace, like Peter, like Cleopas, like Mary Magdalene, like everybody in the Bible, those of us who've been given grace are supposed to, in turn, turn around and give grace to everyone else. So what do we learn from John, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas? Let me bring this in for you and help you to understand a couple of life applications. Number one, don't live up to your negative label. Don't live up to your negative label. If you're labeled deserter or quitter or whatever it may be, you have a choice. You can either live up to that label or you can decide to be different. 
It's not about your label. It's not about your name. You could be World Peace or Teddy Bear or Sweetie Pie or whatever you want to, but it's not about your label. It is about your actions, okay? And apparently, John Mark decided, hey, if anybody gives me a second chance, I'm going to live up to to what my actions are supposed to be, and I'm going to be the person that God wants me to be. I think he followed the advice of Paul himself when Paul wrote to Timothy, another young man, and he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. We can pout, especially if you're a young person out there, you can say, well, nobody respects me. You can whine, you don't get any respect. The question is this, have you earned it? John Mark decided if he got another chance, he was going to earn it. He was going to make sure that his life and his actions reflected the Jesus that he said that he followed. I think that's beautiful advice. Number two, if you have been given grace, you must extend grace. It's really that simple. And the older we get, the more we recognize how much God has forgiven us. And I think that's why, as older people, we start to realize that we need to give more grace to other people. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the point where John Mark is a helpful servant, is a helpful friend to the Apostle Paul, that's when the Apostle Paul is writing Timothy. Listen to this. He is much older at this point. We don't know exactly how much, but he's much older at this point, and he's wiser, and he's humbler, and he really realizes how much grace he's been given. And he says this, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that, observe, that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I don't think Paul would have said that when he was younger. I don't think Paul would have said that when he decided not to take John Mark on the missionary journey. I think Paul was probably like, yeah, okay, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. I'm going to keep going. And I think the older we get, the more, at least it's happening for me, the more I get to know God, the more I understand how not God I am. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens to me. And I think that's what's happened to Paul here. He's, he's like, okay, now I get it. I'm the worst of sinners. But for this very reason... I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. If you've been given grace, you need to extend grace. My personality, honestly, is more like Paul's than it is Barnabas. My personality is the get-her-done guy. My personality is, let's go, we've got to make this thing happen, and I don't have a lot of room for deserters. But I can get so intent on the mission that I forget the men or the women that need a second chance. So sometimes God has to hit me square upside the head and say, hey, you're the worst of sinners. So knock it off and go out and be a grace-filled person. A legalistic heart labels people deserters, but a grace-filled heart labels them as children of God. Matter of fact, it's kind of fascinating as I was studying this. You know what the name John means? The name John literally means Yahweh has shown grace. That was John Mark's first name. Yahweh, God has shown grace. That's his name. His name is Second Chance. It's a beautiful reason to name a kid John, isn't it? Third thing I want you to get out of this is that everyone needs to have someone who believes in him. 
all of us need someone to reassure us and pick us up, give us increased determination to go back out there and start again. Parents, you get this. All of us understand this. Just a few words can make a difference one way or the other in somebody's life, especially if they're young. Wes Stafford, who's president of Compassion International, told us the story. It's in his latest book of, uh, of two young men uh, back in the day, in the 1900s, who, uh, who were um, men who were altar boys. And, and they both did exactly the same thing. One of them um, dropped the chalice one day, and the, he, you know, he, he just fumbled it and dropped it as he was carrying the wine for the priest. And the priest was in a nasty mood and turned to him and said, get out of here and don't ever come back. You'll never amount to anything. And that young man grew up to be the communist leader of Yugoslavia, Tito. Another young man, somewhere around the same exact time as he tells the story, was doing the same thing, dropped the wine, and the priest turned to him and said, don't worry about it, my son. Someday you will be a priest. And that young man turned out to be the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Now, I don't dare say that those two experiences were what made those people go one direction or the other, one towards a godless communism, dictatorship, and the other towards a life of service to Jesus Christ and to His church. I'm sure there was a lot more that went into it than that. But that will show you the power of speaking in encouragement into somebody's life, lifting somebody's burden. I blogged about this. I just I got I to say it again. Um, I was at this church planting conference. There's like 5,000 people there. We plant churches. We're planting churches in uh, Ireland and New York and California and Salt Lake City and all, all kinds of Chicago and all kinds of places. And I'm on the board of a couple of church planting organizations. So I always go. And it's, it's, you know, I'm like one of the oldest people there. You know, it's all these young church planters, you know, with hair like Ian, you know, and they're all wearing flip flops. And, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of awkward, but, but I like to go and I like to be around these people because they really empower me. They encourage me. But Rick Warren comes every year. And I mean, they ask him to do stuff because he likes to come and do this. And, and, and I, I blogged about this. If you want to read about it on my blog. But everybody I've talked to since that conference was so blown away because here is Rick Warren, who is probably the most important Christian leader of our time, literally. I mean, he, you know, sold all the books. Saddleback's really important. They got all these things going on. He sat at a picnic table outside of this church, right in the middle of where everything was going on. He sat at a picnic table for all three days. I don't know if he ever went into a session. I don't know if he ever actually went and, you know, did anything other than the times they asked him to teach. They literally brought him food and he sat on this picnic bench, on this picnic table, and talked to absolutely every church planter, every person that wanted to come up and, and, and hang out with him. It was unbelievable for me to see a guy who's got so many things to do. He, he ought to be writing books. He ought, to, he ought to be taking care of his congregation back home. He's got his own family. He's got other things to do. And he was literally just sitting there encouraging, hugging, gave me the biggest bear hug I've ever had in my life. I introduced him to Richie um, Del Prior, you know, who's leading our next campus. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, Rick, this is our next campus leader, Richie. And he turned to Richie and he goes, 
man, I want to go to your campus. And he got him and gave him a big hug. He said, my hair used to be like yours, Richie, back when I was, you know, my earlier days. And, and he met our church planters in, in, that, from New York. And he didn't know them from anybody. He just went up and gave him a big hug. And it encouraged me to be an encourager. Because even though, you know, I could sit at a bench and, you know, the only thing that would happen would be people would say, hey, could we sit there? Could you get up now so we could, like, have this table and eat at? I've got to be, as I get older and older, I was so encouraged to be an encourager. To be a person like Rick, who was just being a person like Jesus, who was being, you know, just being like God who always has time for us, who's never too big for us, who's never too big for his britches and has important things to do and has to run off and always had time for the little people, literally. You see, here's the deal. Most people go to church and they... uh, they think the church consists of a worship service with some songs, and it's been wonderful today. And, and, and maybe we have communion, and maybe you throw, throw a few bucks in the plate, and you hear some words about the Bible and maybe learn something. But, but here's what you don't understand. That's not all of it, okay? Thousands of years ago, when churches started to meet, there was this problem called persecution. And believe it or not, it goes on in a whole lot of areas of the world today. A lot of persecution going on in the world today. And... Um, back in the day when they met together, they needed more than just to sing a couple of songs and hear a good message and have communion. They needed encouragement because fear was gripping these congregations. And 2,000 years ago, as the church was getting started, there was this letter that started circulating among the churches, and we don't to this day know who wrote it. It made the Bible. It's called the book of Hebrews. We don't to this day know who wrote it. Some people speculate that it was Barnabas, and his name just didn't get on it. Some people speculate that it was Paul, some Peter, some John, some that it might have been a woman, and that's why nobody's name was on it. I don't really believe that because there's no hearts over the eyes or curly cues on the end of it. I think it was Barney, okay? I really think it was Barney. Regardless of who wrote it, imagine you're in the early church, the first church, Here's what the writer of Hebrews, and I want to say it's Barnabas, says to us. Therefore, brothers, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more. We need encouragement in the church today like we need oxygen. We need to be people of the second chance. Let me read that verse about Barnabas one more time. Joseph, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What would they call you? I'm going to show you a great clip from the movie Walk the Line where Johnny Cash is at the lowest point in his life and June is an encourager just as a kind of a way to help you to grab a hold of this. Before we do, will you just indulge me? Because I can't, whenever I start thinking about Barnabas, it's a a silly tie-in, but I think this might work. We'll see what happens. For those of you who have ever had a preschooler, you will relate to this. Another Barnabas that all of us 
have wanted to strangle at one point or another in our lives. The purple dinosaur named Barney. Okay? And I'm guessing everybody in here knows the song, and it's actually very appropriate. So before I run into the end of this contemplative time, could, could you just sing it with me? And let's encourage each other. You could, you could sing it slower and a little more reverently if you want to. And grab a hold of the words to this song because I think it's Scripture. I honestly do. Are you ready? I love you. You love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? That's really the essence of the gospel, my friend. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to be a God of second chances, to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. We give you that opportunity right now at communion. He is the God of second chances. I mean, yeah, I wanted to talk about how we show it to each other and how we give grace to each other, but we've got to come back at communion time and remember that God gave it to us first. And it's always there for you. And it doesn't matter if you blew it once or if you've blown it a million times. He is still the God of second chances. And He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't matter if you're the worst of sinners. This time is for you. Lord, I pray right now as we have communion that we will have the opportunity to be able to uh, just bask in Your grace as we accept Your grace and become people of grace as we did with Mary Magdalene last weekend. We just pray that You'll help us to understand that it doesn't matter what we've done. You already died for those sins. You knew what was going to happen. Lord, I just pray that You will... uh, be with us as we commune with you right now. And if there are people in this room who have never accepted you or it's been a long time since they've been home, Lord, help them to know right now all they got to do is say, Jesus, as I take communion right now, I'm accepting you as my Lord and Savior or I'm reacclaiming myself as a member of your family and I'm, I want to be in your family right now. Lord, I, I pray for all of us as we commune and thank you for Graceonomics, this new economy that we get to live in. And it's in these things of Jesus that we pray.